Hi, my name is Michaela. Welcome to the Be The Light podcast, where we interview people who shine the light of Jesus in a secular world. Today's interviewee is Logan Matson. Logan is a West Claremont Young Life leader. As a leader, he has influenced the students in Young Life to give everything to God, even your doubts. He is also studying industrial design at UC. I've heard you talk about art classes, but I'm curious as to what industrial design is. Sure. So... Industrial design is a little complicated to explain <laughs> to someone who's never heard of it. I did research a tad yes. bit. Um, I would typically start by explaining to people if they know what architecture is. It's like the person who makes a building look beautiful. Industrial design I describe as architecture for everything that's not a building. So a car, a phone, a watch, um, the shoes you wear, the thing that goes in a museum, anything and everything that gets manufactured has somebody who designs it. And so industrial designers are the ones behind all of those products that you could buy on shelves at a Target or a Best Buy or whatever. So You learn something new every day. When did you become interested in industrial design? Well, that's also a little complicated. <laughs> I didn't think I was going to go into industrial design in high school. Um, I thought I was going to go into the medical field um, or be an engineer. So that's all the classes I took in high school, you know, all the AP classes prepping for that, mm -hmm. you know, the MCAT and all that medical stuff. And then my junior and senior year, I'd always been creative. And so I just sort of assumed creativity was one half of my life. And the sort of science math part of my brain was the other half of my life. And then those would just have to be separate forever. Um, and... Then I sort of learned about architecture, which was what kind of got me into industrial design. Um, and I took a tour at the University of Cincinnati, which is where I'm going to school now. And we were walking through, and I was there for architecture. That was the reason I was on my tour. And as I'm walking through the architecture program, we walk past all these studios full of students who are doing this really cool stuff. And I keep on like pausing and, you know, peeking my head in there. And I finally asked the tour guide, I'm like, what are all those people doing? And they're like, oh, that's the, the ID kits, the industrial design kits. And I was like, why are why am I not in one of those rooms? And so basically, long story short, the stuff they were doing was so cool that I decided to switch to industrial design from architecture before I even started in architecture. Because um, I didn't know the field existed. I didn't know that it was something that yeah. I could do. Um, and I pretty quickly fell in love with it. And now I'm happy that I made that switch because I've got friends in architecture who are now wanting to switch <laughs> to ID because the stuff we do is cooler, I guess. Yeah. But yeah. It kind of sounds similar to my non-existent yet kind of existent college story. <laughs> Tell me about that. Um, so I, in eighth grade, I took a science uh, sign language class and just fell in love with the language of ASL, even mm -hmm. though we ha at actually hadn't learned uh, the grammatical system of ASL. Um, but we, we, I just fell in love with it, and I knew I wanted to do it for at least a time in my life. Yeah. And so uh, I, that's what I'm going to you're thinking of doing something in that speech yeah. language world. That's pretty oh yeah. Cool. Uh, what is God? Uh, what have you learned about God through your art? Well, a lot, um, and a lot. I would say that's kind of tangential to art. So, and I'll explain that in a minute. Um, my favorite Bible verse of all time is Ephesians two ten, um, which is, "We are God's masterpiece, created in Him to do good works, which He has set before us in advance to do." Um, and when I decided on industrial design, my 18th birthday, my parents got me a card and that verse was on the, the front of the card. And it was like mm -hmm. a picture of these masterworks that people have done. And the idea is that we are God's masterpiece. And so um, anything that we look out into the world and see sunrises, mountains, the most beautiful things the world has to offer um, are all just God's day to day work. 
um, but he's poured his time and attention into us. And so that motivates a lot of the way that I interact with people in my life, that we there is corporate. It's not just I am God's masterpiece or that you, Michaela, are God's masterpiece, but that every student at West Claremont High School, every person I run into in, in my class, every homeless guy I meet on the street is one of God's masterpieces. And so as I got into the field of art, and spent a lot of time working on what I would consider my masterpieces, you know, those projects that Mm -hmm. I didn't spend one week on or two weeks on that I spent 15 weeks on or half a year on. Those are the ones that I'm super proud of and I show to people. Um, The longer I've spent on a project, the the closer it is to my heart, the more intimately I know all the details of it. Um, Being able to think of God as creator in the same way, but even so far beyond what I have to offer as an artist, is a really cool perspective for me to have because it lets me look at the things going on in the world around me and look at them through the lens of an artist, quote unquote, appreciating a much greater artist's work. Um, And that's really cool for me to see. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, it's really cool because I kind of relate to you in that aspect as a a writer and um, creating stories. And you feel that kind of intentionality with God of like he creating him creating worlds and and people and Mm -hmm. you have and as an author you almost have that ability of creating worlds and people even though they're not really existent they're they're not literal but there is an element of like not all authority but just seeing the creative side of God and being connected with him through that. And there's something cool about storytelling or art in general where sometimes there will be a person who looks at art or looks at a story and says, I would have done it differently. You know, I would have put this person there or I would have had this person survive the ending of the story or I would have had that person die in the ending. Um, But they don't see the full picture of what's getting painted, especially if it's a series or if it's a book that's not finished yet or work that's not done. They're like, why did you add that tree there? You blocked the cabin in the background or things like that. Um, And that's what's really cool to see about God as a designer and a creator um, and an author, if you were to use that term, that we have such a small, narrow-minded perspective of what God is working in our lives. And so when we think about God as author, we could say, okay, I'm in chapter two of A Billion. Like, who am I to tell God that why did you make me crash my car? Or why was this a part of my story? I wish it weren't. Because we don't get to see the beautiful ending he's written Mm -hmm. yet until we get there. So Mm -hmm. that's pretty cool. Yeah. Speaking of God, when did you first become passionate about Jesus? Um, So that's, again, sort of a slow burn for me. There's not a date that I can point in my mind where it was like, you know, April 4th of 2016 or whatever. Uh, My parents were Christian. I grew up in a Christian home. Um, But for a long time, that was kind of something that, I attributed to my parents. And so um, I didn't have a ton of personal connection to that. And throughout high school, it wasn't as if there was a a specific moment in time where really it all started to click. Um, It's just been throughout a few um, challenging circumstances in my life where I've turned to God more directly and years and years of having people pour into me and show me what it looks like to love God that I've kind of slowly stumbled across what it looks like to follow him. Um, I would say... In college, once I became a leader, that's what really lit the fire under me that this is something that I want to pursue deeply um, because the the fear of having responsibility um, was something that really drove me to pursue God. And that's maybe not the healthiest original intent, but it did a lot of good in me um, because that ner- the nerves of giving my first teaching at a Bible study or the, the confusion of what happens if a student asks me a question, I don't have an answer to it. 
um, that drove me and my brother as well. He was a big influence in that to start answering all those questions together before it came to pass that someone would ask them. So that's where I started diving into all these elements of theology because I needed to learn stuff so that I would have something to offer if a student were to ask me a question. Yeah. It's been cool. Yeah. Um, speaking of Young Life and being a Young Life leader, when did you become a Young Life leader? So or I was... why did yeah. you become a Young Life leader? Um, so I did Young Life in high school. Um, a couple of people who had huge impacts on my life were Young Life leaders in high school. Um, and ironically, long before I knew what Young Life was, a couple of my teachers and my mom's co-workers, because she was a teacher, um, were also Young Life leaders. So some of the people I hung out with or who babysat me when I was five years old, <laughs> not to exactly, they were Young Life leaders and I had no idea what Young Life was. And funny story on an aside on that, my mom learned what Young Life was through some of her co-teachers um, and made the solemn statement that her kids would never do young life because she saw all the chaotic stuff going on she's like i don't want my kids involved in that That's and great. you know seven years later both of her student both of her kids are now young life leaders um and i think that's just so beautiful but anyway um young life was a huge part of my high school experience and when i went off to college i decided i wanted to become a young life leader because it was powerful for me because i wanted to serve god in some way um, and I felt like my talents lined up well with the ministry of Young Life. I, I thought that I was a good leader. I'm learning now that back, you know, when I was 18 years old, I was not a good leader. And now that I'm 20, I've got it all figured out. But when I'm 25, I'll look back on 20-year-old Logan and be like, he had no idea what was going on. So I know it's going to be progressive, but it was sort of that, that gifting and that desire that led me to be a Young Life leader. Um, in respect to leading and being a leader uh who are three spiritual leaders that have influenced you um i'm gonna start with my parents it's kind of cheating but i'm gonna count them as one um because together both of them were a huge spiritual influence to me um my father was a great leader in what it looks like to be a christian in a secular world he um is the president of a company and so runs his business um in a way that glorifies God and all of his employees know that and many of his employees are Christian and were hired um, to sort of embody Christ in the work that they do in engineering and architecture and all that stuff which is super cool um, and I didn't understand all of what he was doing back when I was a kid but it was still cool to see that my dad served God in that way and my mom was kind of the flip side of the coin that she had the emotional intelligence far beyond anything that I have um, to care for people in a beautiful way, that she loves people better than almost anyone I've met. Um, and so the two of them really showed to me what it looks like to serve God with your life and to love God with your heart, um, which was super cool. So that would be a, an influence number one for me. Um, a second influence I would give is my personal young life leader in high school. His name is Eric Hoffman. Someone you might have been introduced at some point. He's kind of a legendary figure in young life. Probably. I, I don't necessarily recognize the name, but knowing my parents and knowing me and growing up in a kind of young life culture, uh, I probably have met him or... I would guess that anybody who's been involved with young life in Ohio, there's like a decent chance they've run into Eric Hoffman. He's one of the guys that starts young life in schools all around the country. So when Capernaum Young Life happened here in Southeast Cincinnati, he had a hand in placing Capernaum here. Or if young life's going to start in Western Brown in a couple of years or something like that, then he would have a hand in planting that school. So... Eric was awesome. Um, to me, he exemplified what it looked like to have a holistic love of God, um, that his marriage was centered around his faith, his kids and the way he interacted with them 
as part of his faith. He worked full-time for Young Life, and then on top of working for Young Life, he was a volunteer leader for Young Life. His house was open 24 hours a day to students he had never met showing up and eating food out of his fridge. Um, it was just such a beautiful example to me of what it looks like to leave nothing behind um, in service of God. And so that was a really cool moment because even though my parents served God and loved him in a way that was super powerful to me, their lives were a little bit more typical. What you would expect from a family with two kids um, who's, you know, working normal jobs. And Eric Hoffman was the opposite side of the spectrum, an absolutely chaotic 52-year-old man who was playing tackle duck, duck, goose with a bunch of high schoolers <laughs> in his basement. And I loved every part of it. And so Eric Hoffman, you know, showed me what that holistic love of God could be like. Um, and then I would say one of my third influences has been my brother. Um, that He's someone that I think you've met at a couple of things. Actually, I don't think I've ever met him. Maybe not in person. At, at camp, you'll get to meet him this yeah. summer. Um, he's a year and a half older than me. And um, for those who are listening to this, he's a theology major, um, one of the smartest people I've ever met. And so what's been really cool to me is seeing the brother who I got in fights with for all of our childhood, who we were both immature and, you know, didn't get along super well in high school. Um, seeing the change that's come about in his life as he's studied God more um, has been one of the most powerful witnesses as to what's amazing about studying God. Um, and so in my, my post-high school years, he's been one of the biggest influences in my life as to drawing me into deeper understanding of who God is, learning theology, learning the Bible, reading it together. We um, build each other up really well. In Proverbs, it says, as iron sharpens iron, so one sharpens another. Um, and he's definitely the person in my life who is sharper than me and is constantly pushing me towards that next level, which is pretty cool. Uh, speaking of someone who gives advice, what advice would you give to someone who wants to be the light? Um, I wanted to start this one with a quote. Um, it's a quote by St. Francis of Assisi. Um, a long time ago in history, he said, uh, proclaim the gospel always and use words when necessary. Um, I think it's a beautiful quote because it speaks to the fact that our gospel proclamation is not just the words that we say. Um, mm -hmm. The way that we spread light to people isn't just the correct answers we have to hard theological questions. Um, and so my advice to people who want to be the light is sort of twofold. First of all, speak the gospel always. Um, and I'll talk about that first and I'll get to the second half later. Um, that there are going to be people who feel like they are unqualified to be the light, that they don't have all the answers that, you know, as I felt in high school, what am I going to do if someone asks me what the Bible says about the sun standing still in Joshua, right? Like that that's a hard theological conversation to have with somebody. Um, so if I don't feel ready to that, how can I be the light to people? Um, Jesus is pretty straightforward when he talks about um, all of the, the ways that the kingdom comes to this earth in his parables, when he describes the good Samaritan, when he talks about turning the other cheek, when he talks about all of the things that um, it looks like to live a Christian life, that we can spread the light to the world by the things that we do, by the way that we act, by the way that we interact with people. Um, and so that would be the first one, and that's a universal statement for all Christians, that no matter your background, no matter your theological aptitude or understanding, your giftings, um, how comfortable you feel sharing the gospel, that that's the first um, it, piece of advice I would give to everyone, is everyone can spread the light in that way. Um, and then the second uh, piece of advice is just something that I'm sort of learning, even as I go now, 
Um, and it's sort of a word of caution and an encouragement in the same breath. Um, that as somebody who has been given quote unquote authority to teach people and lead people um, by the ministry of Young Life, um, I have screwed that up multiple times. I will continue to screw that up throughout the rest of my ministry. Um, God works in the midst of those screw-ups. And so I am confident that I am not worse at messing up God's plan than he is at writing a beautiful plan. Mm. Um, but in the midst of all of that, it's humbling to know that there are conversations I've had with people where I thought I was leading them in the correct direction. And looking back a year or two later, I see that I was slightly off. Um, and so for people who are trying to be the light to people around them, just be humble enough um, and cautious enough to know that you're not always right, that the Bible is always right, that what you're pursuing is righteousness and correctness, um, but that as humans, we are fallible. And so when we're interpreting scripture, when we're giving someone an answer to a question, we're not always going to be right in that answer. Um, and so my advice would be, um, say everything with a grain of salt unless the thing that you are saying is Jesus loves you, because we know that that's true and there's no way we can um, screw that one up. Um, but in the midst of that, be bold in your proclamation of the gospel through the things that you say and do in your life. Um, that you don't have to be an expert in everything and give all the right answers all the time. Um, and so you should be careful about giving answers that you are sure are right because there's a chance they're not. But you're never going to turn someone away from Jesus by smiling at them, by loving them unconditionally, by um, being there for them in times of need, that those are the things that Jesus did for his disciples that he demonstrated to us. If we live that kind of life, um, that's really hard to screw up, and God will work beautifully through that. Um, as we grow and mature, then you feel like you're slightly more capable of having those hard, hard conversations, answering those hard questions, um, and that's where we can do some really cool things for the Lord as well. Thank you, Logan, for sharing your ways of being a light in a secular world. Of course. Thanks for having me on, Michaela. Thank you.